Good morning. We have a wonderful lesson today from the 10th chapter of Luke. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends, grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God, our creator, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, and from the Holy Spirit who guides us into a new future. Amen. I got home Thursday night after a day of trying in fits and starts to, to connect this story of the Good Samaritan to the tragic deaths of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. My son Marcus, who is spending <clears throat> the summer in Chicago where he goes to school, was home along with our oldest son, Danny, who lives in St. Paul, and a high school classmate of Marcus, whose name is Aaron, who was over for dinner, and a, a young man who's become very close to our family over the last several years. Of course, as we gathered uh, together, the, the topic of conversation was the recent police shootings in Baton Rouge and Falcon Heights. And I asked Aaron, who is black, about his experiences with law enforcement officers in South Minneapolis where he grew up, not far from where our kids grew up as well. And I knew um, that his reality would be different from the reality of my, my three boys. One of the stories he told was just from a couple of weeks ago. It involved him being followed by a patrol car down Minnehaha Parkway and eventually stopped. He was told to get out of the car and to sit on the curb, 
which of course he did. His wise mother, who died five years ago, taught him to be totally compliant and to never ask questions. The officers went through his car and pulled out a couple of prescription bottles and placed them on top of the vehicle. Eventually, another squad car came onto the scene. He said the officer just stayed in the car and just kind of gave him a dirty look. Then they told Aaron he could go. There was no apology and no explanation was given for the stop. But for Aaron, there was nothing strange about this encounter. It's just the way things are for people like him and he knew it could have gone a lot worse. So we asked Aaron how he felt about the events of the last few days and he said he was scared. But he also said he wasn't just scared for himself and others like him, he was also afraid that there could be a violent response to what had happened. So a bit later, we turned on the TV and saw what Aaron had feared the most, the horrific unfolding scene that led to the senseless murder of five Dallas police officers, the worst attack on law enforcement since 9-11. Police officers who were working in cooperation with protesters to keep it peaceful. Ironically, this was in a community, Dallas, that is known for, admired for, its strong relationship between all its citizens, 70% people of color in Dallas County, known for its strong relationship between citizens and law enforcement. Fear, anger, and heartbreak is all around us. So the lawyer asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus answers the question, of course, by telling a story. And it's a story we know well. On one level, it's the story about helping a neighbor in need. But when we go deeper, and this we must, when we go deeper, we see that it's also a story about boundaries and what divides people. The priest and the Levite do not help the victim because of the risk, the risk of them being exposed to another's blood, which the law strictly prohibited. And as, as keepers of the law, they would have been very aware of that. So they walk to the other side of the road. And then there's the one who does help, who is identified as a Samaritan. Now, to a first century audience, this would have been especially significant. There was not a good relationship between Samaritans and other Jews from Galilee, and especially those from Jerusalem. The Samaritans were considered to be ethnically impure and ritually sloppy. Samaritans were to be avoided and the priest and Levite would have been just as likely to cross the road if they had seen a Samaritan on that side of the road. So when Jesus finishes the story and turns the question back to the lawyer, who is the neighbor, the lawyer answers correctly. 
the one who showed mercy. Yes, the one who showed mercy. In other words, not the two that crossed to the other side of the road. The one who showed mercy, the Samaritan, the outsider. There's a need for mercy these days, a mercy that pushes past accepted boundaries and divisions. But is there a need for something more than mercy? Not to replace mercy and kindness, but in addition to mercy and kindness. Sometimes more than mercy is justice, the realignment of the boundaries that have included some and excluded others, the realignment of the systems that have benefited some and held others back. Yes, justice. But I wonder, I wonder, and this is where the world of Scripture, the world of parables takes us. So I wonder if more than mercy begins with a reimagining of the world. Is this what Jesus was really trying to do with the lawyer? You know the law, but now let's stretch beyond that. What do you see there? What's happening? Jesus used parables like this one to teach about the kingdom of God, to help people reimagine the world according to God's terms. Hear that? To reimagine the world according to God's terms. Anna Carter Florence refers to parables as holy collisions where heaven and earth crash into each other. Parables are often confusing and always surprising, but they are always meant to stretch us beyond where we are. And where we are right now is we are stuck. We are stuck. We are stuck in a racially divided nation. We are stuck in a cycle of violence, the most violent country among the developed nations of the world, the USA, where police are under attack, where black bodies are under siege, and where toddlers are gunned down in a drive-by shooting just a few miles from here. Yes, we need mercy. We need justice. And we need a reimagination that comes from deep within and that is joined to a promised future of reconciliation. We need action. We need prayers. But we also need a compelling vision that draws us together. Perhaps we are seeing glimmers of this as law enforcement leaders and elected leaders and religious leaders and protesters are speaking truthfully about the division among us. Tragedy has a way of reducing rancor, if only for a moment. But let's, let us demand that it not last for only a moment, that it continue. Will we come together to reimagine our future on a path of mercy toward justice? 
One of my wife's former students, a very articulate, talented young man named Matthew Manning, shared a story of his experience in an airport this past Wednesday. I'd love to read all of it for you, but I'm not. I've I've condensed it some. He notices that he and a woman, he's sitting in an airport on Wednesday morning, he notices that he and a woman on the other side of the waiting area are the only two black people that are in that space. And he notices her looking at her phone, her smartphone, scrolling down, and then suddenly he sees her tears as the news of Alton Sterling hits her. Their eyes meet, he says, and and neither feels quite as alone as they did just a moment ago. He reflects on his fear and anger in the face of yet another shooting. And then Matthew writes this, Before long, a group of young black children enters the terminal. They are quiet, seemingly sullen. Their weight, too, can be felt. They are a youth group from from Baltimore, the place where Freddie's spine was struck a fatal blow in the back of a police van. They are no strangers to falling stars. And you can see in their eyes the desire to push through the pain of another wound recently inflicted. Within some minutes, their youth begins to show. Slow to comfort, they eventually laugh and smile, sharing with each other music, games, and sandwiches. When I scan the room again, I'm suddenly reminded of my place. Most do not comprehend this pain, and many I've come to accept have no interest in learning. Justice is not a season of convenience. It is a duty always, here and now. It is truth, whether or not we choose to hear it. And then he concludes with what I believe is just a measure of hope reimagined. I'm sitting now on the plane and watching as Baltimore's youth board the flight. I look each young man and woman into their face with a piercing intention as they pass me and they accept my eyes. I look at them with a gravity not yet their due but determined unavoidable as if to say you are not alone. You are beautiful. You are royal. Thank you for your hope. May you guide us like this airplane somewhere above the cloud tops that we may never again suffer violence upon the ground. May you be our light and the living metaphor of a tired and resilient people, bludgeoned, broken, but not defeated. Yes, a world reimagined. Let it be so. Amen.
As we live in the power of God's story in our world today, we confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven.